evening, Chris. On this evening, I'd like to... Kelly, I often put, like, we have a meditation on Christmas Eve rather than a sermon. And my wife, Kelly, reminds me that meditation sounds weird. Um, you should just call it the sermon like we normally do. But sermon has this, like, level of instruction and teaching and formality to it. But on Christmas Eve, I try to just give us small things to sort of ponder along with the text. And so that's my goal this evening. And so for those of you who like some structure to follow along, and I guarantee this will go faster than it sounds like it will, the first thing I'd like to do is sort of just make three observations shortly about what Chris read that make the familiar of this story maybe a little bit strange to us, that add another level to it. The next thing I'd like to do is read two sort of quotes for our consideration on this for you that this will bring joy to the world and be for you, that there's something big happening here. And the last is just a short note on, on sort of Christians and light. So the first is sort of three observations on the text. The first is this, we're familiar with this, is that this happens during the reign of Caesar Augustus and there's, consent, there's the census. But one of the ways in which I think this can be strange for us again is that Augustus is one who around the time of the ninth century, shortly after what we would think would be Jesus' birth, a story begins to circulate about him, mainly from his own people, that he is the son of God, that Augustus, this emperor, has, is the son of God, and that his birth was heralded by a comment, and he has come to bring peace to earth in his Roman way. Of, of subduing and conquering all the other lands, but he has come to bring peace to earth. And so one of the things that the gospel writer, who we, is, is Luke in this instance, is writing about is that, is that Jesus' birth story stands in sort of tension to this. Jesus' birth story is much different than the one you would tell about Augustus, a different son of God and a different way of bringing peace to earth. The second observation is, and this is one that I think we miss because we have nice nativity scenes at home, is that this 12 to 14-year-old woman brings this baby who she just had into a, a, essentially a stable because there is no room, and a manger, and this always, I forget this, is actually an animal trough. And so the only place that she has to lay her baby is sort of where animals feed. In a first century house, this would also be where a lot happens, and so the animals can just stick their heads in the window and sort of eat the scraps. But, but this story is not as cute and as quaint as it becomes as we become familiar with it. It's got this little bit of strangeness to it. And, and if you think about that Caesar thing again, is that here, he's not laid in a palace, but in the place where animals feed. Kelly's expecting, but I don't plan on laying our new daughter in a dog bowl or something like that. There's, there's something to that that seems foreign to us, as it should, but this is what happens in this story. And so it, it sort of breaks from there, and it goes to these shepherds. Now, if you're familiar with the Easter stories, and if, you, if you're uh, somewhat, you know, if you come to church on on Easter, this is a famous thing preachers like to remind people of, is that the first witnesses of the resurrection are all women in the Gospels. And women are not allowed to be witnesses. Their testimonies aren't really counted in ancient Near Eastern Israel. That's not something that's allowed. 
I say this because in the shepherds belong to the same category. Who these angels appear to, which in Caesar's world would be a different set of people, are the equivalent, and this is maybe a stretch, but of the hell's angels, is that it goes out to these people who have sort of been pushed out to the margins. They can't do anything else for work. Their testimony doesn't count as well. These shepherds are pretty much the lowest part of society and shady folks at that. And yet this is where the birth of this one is announced. Not only that, this was what sort of baffles me. If you take that hell's angels a little bit further, and then they come to the place that, that you're laying your baby in a, in a horse trough is, is strange, you know. You, I would be like, oh, great, they've come to take the baby, and this is the end. Maybe I'm a little bit of a pessimist, but um, that is sort of where I would take it. But they come, and they find themselves in awe of the strangeness of what has happened. And not only that, they go forth and tell people in a way that almost makes it believable. Mary then stores these things up in her heart, which is always our challenge as well. The second thing I mentioned is the two quotes. One is from St. Augustine and one is from Ambrose's teacher. I love the songs that we sing around the season because they contain all these old, weird sayings, true light of true light, um, Uh, As far as the curse is found, this world's brokenness, they speak very clearly about the world, and I love the ways in which they draw us into older language than we don't use. One of the things that these songs capture for us, though, is admits of this world that can seem dark, something is happening at this moment that's changing. And we don't get it quite from Luke 2, which is the story we normally read, but I think these two thinkers really nailed what changes in their quotes. The first one from Ambrose, he was a baby, a child, so that you may become complete, mature person. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes so that you might be freed from the bonds of death. He was in a manger so that you might be on the altar. He came to earth so that you may be in the stars. He had no place in the inn so that you may have in heaven many mansions. He, being rich, became poor for your sakes, that through his poverty you might become rich. And he adds this thing from the book of Isaiah at the end. You see that in his swaddling clothes, you do not see that he is in heaven. You hear the cries of an infant, but you do not hear the lowing of an ox recognizing its master. For the ox is For the ox knows his owner and the ass his master's crib. Ambrose knows the ways in which this changes things for us. But St. Augustine, his student back in the third century, had a different way of putting it that I think is just as touching. He says, The maker of man became man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might be hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he the way might be wearied by the journey, that he the truth may be accused by false witnesses, that he the judge of the living and the dead might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he justice might be condemned by the unjust, that he discipline might be scourged with whips, that he the grape might be crowned with thorns, that he the fountain might be suspended upon a cross that courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, that life might die.
both of them name for us that what happens here in this story is something of which God takes on our, our plight. He is named Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And as He is the one who is the author of all things. He participates in life at a greater depth than we do. This is the juxtapositions that both of these, these sort of early writers draw out. So the last thing for us to ponder today is that Christians like candles. I don't know if you've noticed. We use candles a lot. And oftentimes people, uh, especially people from an older generation who don't like young pastors, will say, do you guys just like candles and incense and stuff because it's cool? Which I don't deny. I do like candles and stuff because it's cool. But it's also because on this night, which is purposely near decided by the Christians that sort of form this, isn't meant to be near exactly the literal birth of Jesus don't want to ruin that for anyone, but actually it's supposed to be near this time of darkness in which light can break forth. That this time in which the world is getting darker, we just had the darkest day of the year on the 21st, that light begins to emerge back into the world. And so when we light the candles with silent night, as we'll do, and when we light those things, that we talk about the way in which the light cannot be put out, that the light of Christ shines in the darkness. The gospel writer John puts it in the ways that the light has shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 2,000 years later, that's still why we gather on this night, is to, is to remember that while it may seem dark, there's a light that shines and darkness does not overcome it. And so as we do here at the Fines Church, as we, we offer a time for prayer tonight. You'll see up on the, on the screen there's these words that are in uh, non-bold and non-italicized um, that, that if you would join me in saying, and there are words that I will read that are the other ones. We'll just say the other ones. Non-bold, non-italicized. Um, and what I'd like